Hi, this is Alan Ruff, the Thursday host of A Public Affair. If you have a moment and the, the resources, remember to support the station. And if you will, head over to wrtfm.org to donate and to see what else is going on at the station. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to play. And good afternoon and welcome to this, the Thursday edition of A Public Affair. I'm your host for this hour. My name is Alan Ruff. You know, today I thought it would be timely and fruitful to air some perspectives and updates on the growing movement to halt Line 5, that massive oil pipeline project being pushed across northern Wisconsin by the Canadian-based fossil fuel infrastructure giant Enbridge Corporation. I want to include some discussion concerning the pipeline's threat to the entire region, its environment and peoples, and the growing resistance to put a stop to it. With us to share their vantage points on what's at stake regarding the perils posed by Enbridge and the opposition's prospects are environmental activists and water protectors Mark Rosenthal and Carl Sack. Mark is a a returning public affair guest, is a retired ER nurse, an activist with a decades-long history of international solidarity work, having lived, worked, and been involved with national liberation struggles in the Middle East, Africa, and Central America and North America. He first worked as a water defender, as an organizer for the Black Hills Alliance in 1979, and continues to do that work today. Carl Sack is a cartographer, a socialist, and environmental activist from Duluth. In Madison 2011 through 2015, he helped organize successful opposition to the then-proposed Pinocchi Mine on the northern Wisconsin headwaters of the Bad River watershed. More recently, he was involved in the struggle to defend indigenous treaty rights against the destruction wrought by the Enbridge Corporation's Line 3 oil pipeline in Minnesota. Uh, <clears throat> Mark Rosenthal and Carl Sack, welcome to WORT's A Public Affair. Thank you, Alan. Thanks, Alan. Great to be here. You know, the two of you have been involved with the movement to shut down the expansion of Line 5 currently underway, as I said, in far northern Wisconsin. So let's start basically, What, at a basic level here, what is Line 5? Well, Line 5, um, it was built in 1953. Uh, it's about 20 years beyond its use date. It's owned by Enbridge. Um, It begins in Superior, Wisconsin, and goes 645 miles, crossing some 400 rivers, streams, wetlands. It's uh, a massive pipeline. 23 million gallons of tar sand oils a day flows through Line 5, or that's 540,000 barrels a day. Spilled some 33 times that we know of, over a million gallons. Enbridge makes $1.5 million a day on that line. It actually begins in Alberta as Line 3, and Line 3 runs from Alberta then to Superior across northern Minnesota. Um, Fossil fuel extractions from Alberta have an exceptionally high carbon impact due to the destruction of boreal forests and the really high energy inputs needed to refine tar sands oil, the dirtiest oil in the world, literally a climate time bomb. And I guess the last thing I would say to just sort of paint a big picture, uh, 95% of that oil flows from Canada and returns to Canada. It's used in Canada. Only 5% of the oil is used in the United States. So. Oh, I'm sorry, Alan. Sure. I just, very importantly, and I just had to say, so from, it goes from Superior across northern Wisconsin through the Bad River Reservation, through the Straits of Mackinac. So it's going under the Great Lakes, across Michigan, and then to Sarnia, Ontario. Thanks. That was important. So let's let's continue with that for a moment. That is, <clears throat> so what is the function of the pipeline in terms of the, that bigger picture? It goes to, you mentioned Sarnia, Michigan, is that? No, no, it ends in Sarnia, Ontario. Ontario, excuse me. Um, But where does it go from there? What's what's the purpose of this pipeline? So so the line 
Yeah, line five um, carries refined products, so light crude oil products that have been were refined in Canada. Um, you know, if they get the refinery that's uh, in Superior back up and running, it might take some from there as well. But it carries those light oil products across Michigan and uh, into Sarnia, Ontario, as Mark said, and then from there. Um, they go to other refineries and distribution points in eastern Canada. So it really is, as Mark said, Canadian oil servicing Canada going through the United States and threatening three Great Lakes um, with you know, potential disaster that could affect the drinking water for millions of people. Carl, in a, in a recent presentation, you talked about the significance, and you just kind of buzzed by it just now, the significance of superior as a transit point for the movement of gas and oil across the continent. Talk about that. Nobody thinks about superior. Yeah, uh, thanks, uh, Alan, because this is a point that I really, it's really important to me gets out there more because I think people think of, when you think of oil infrastructure in North America, you probably think of Texas. You might think of Northern Alberta now. Um, you might think of the Bakken uh, in North Dakota, but uh, you might not think of northern Wisconsin mm. as ground zero for fossil fuels in North America. But uh, Superior Wisconsin is home to the Enbridge Terminal, to Enbridge Energy's North American Terminal, which passes through 2.5 million barrels, not gallons, barrels of oil per day. Two and a half million barrels a day. And just to put that into context, uh -huh. that is 70% of the total output of the state of Texas. It's about 22% the total oil output of the entire country of Saudi Arabia. And it's oh, three and a half times what Venezuela is currently exporting. That's what comes through Superior, Wisconsin on the shores of Lake Superior. And every day, two and a half million gallons of oil is going through Superior. A lot of it comes down straight diagonally across the state of Wisconsin now in line 61. That's the heavy stuff, the heavy tar sands crude that needs more refining in Illinois. But the light stuff then they send eastward across line five, where it passes through the Bad River watershed upstream of the Bad River Band of Ojibwe's wild rice beds. Um, a wetland of international importance under the Ramsar Convention at a spot that is, you know, in danger of being eroded <laughs> right into the Bad River and then crosses the Strait of Mackinac in Michigan, which is the connection point for Lakes Michigan and Huron. So a spill under the lake there, which is a grave potential threat, could release oil, you know, across both of those lakes and it would spread very quickly because, as I said, it's light crude. So, um, yeah, here in Wisconsin, state of Wisconsin is an oil state. We are a petrostate. Um, and that's something that I don't think a lot of people in Wisconsin realize is you are sitting in North America's probably second or third biggest petrostate. Since a great deal of that oil, very little of it comes back to Wisconsin, <laughs> can we talk about it as a petrocolony? Absolutely. I think, yeah, Wisconsin is a resource colony for the oil industry. I mean, it's it's a transit point for that oil. Um, you know, as Mark said, just, just line five, uh, Enbridge is making a million and a half dollars a day off of, and none of that's taxed as it goes through the state. None of it benefits the citizens of the state. Not that it would make it better for climate change or, or, or you know, the indigenous people who frontline communities or anything, but we don't gain much in the way of financial benefit from it. You're listening to Carl Sack and Mark Rosenthal. We're talking about the about Line 5, the, being the construction project being run by Enbridge Corporation to, well, as, as we just said, using Wisconsin as a transit point uh, for bigger gain, for bigger fish, I guess. We'll be opening up the phones at 608-256-2001 at the half hour at 12.30, as I always do. If you want to join in this conversation today with Mark or Carl, give us a call. Again, 
2001. So let's stay with Enbridge. Uh, that is, we've talked about it as the, well, the constructor, the builder, the, the engineering firm, really, uh, that is pushing this pipeline. But what is Enbridge? Enbridge is a poster child for the extraction industry. They have a well-documented, violent, and arrogant past. Um, They will say that they respect indigenous rights, but that is simply not true. They have a history of total disregard for indigenous sovereignty. They actually have created um, an initiative called the Opposition Driven Operational Threat to track indigenous opposition to pipelines. And indigenous people are seen and targeted as a threat. Um, They were one of the uh, investors in DAPL, the Dakota Access Pipeline, engaging paramilitary forces uh, to use violence against nonviolent protesters. They're a really big, powerful fossil fuel corporation. And I think to understand, like when you say, who is Enbridge? When we talk about climate and you look back and you say that since like the COP1 gathering in Berlin in 1995, since the Kyoto Treaty in Japan in 1997, that since these times when scientists and politicians warned us of the existential threat of climate change, we have a huge increase in the amount of carbon input, a huge increase in the profits of the fossil fuel industry. If you ask yourself, how is that possible? It's because corporations like Enbridge intimidate, buy governments, police forces. They are incredibly um, like unwilling to change in their addiction to money and power. And uh, Enbridge uh, is the largest um, pipeline corporation in North America. Carl sort of described what they're about. They're not that different than many of the other sort of extraction industry corporations. Yeah, if I, I can add a little bit to, to what you know Mark is detailing about Enbridge. Um, you know, first of all, in terms of their response to pipeline protest, you know, in line three, the struggle against line three in northern Minnesota, um, which is another Enbridge aging Enbridge pipeline that the company not just didn't just replace but expanded, doubled the size of, um, they reimbursed law enforcement agencies. They had something called the Northern Lights Task Force, mm-hmm. which was a collection of law state county county and local law enforcement agencies from across uh, all the counties that the pipeline passed through, where they, uh, except Clearwater County, Clearwater County didn't participate to their credit, but all the other counties um, that pipeline passed through were involved in this Northern Lights Task Force, which was a questionably legal entity, um, coalition of law enforcement agencies that was reimbursed millions of dollars by Enbridge for their work policing protests against Line 3. So you had here a private Canadian oil corporation essentially paying for public police agencies to use them as their private security for the pipeline. Uh, and and so where is the public interest in that? I would, could, I would call Enbridge uh, an outlaw corporation because they have demonstrated time and again they do not care what the law says they believe the only law that counts the only laws that counts are the ones they write you know like they did in Wisconsin um, making trespass on pipeline right uh, oil pipeline right away a felony the most bipartisan I should say piece of legislation that's been passed in recent years in Wisconsin both Democrats and Republicans Republicans sold out to Enbridge on that one and um, they yeah they they uh, well what's going on with right now with Bad River Bad River the Bad River Band of Ojibwe sued Enbridge because their easement across 
parcels of land owned by the band expired in 2013 and the band opted not to renew them. So rather than take their chips and go home, Enbridge just said, well, you know, we're, we don't care. We're going to keep oil flowing at all costs through this pipeline. And so Enbridge has been legally trespassing on the Bad River Band's land for a decade now. And they were they were found to be trespassing in court. But the judge, you know, uh, said, well, you have three more years you can trespass. You know, the thing you would hope that at least they did what they're doing in like well, but they have an incredibly horrible track record of spills. We uh, just had the anniversary of the 2010 Kalamazoo spill which uh, took 17 hours for Enbridge to shut down and 1.2 million gallons spilled over 40 miles into the Kalamazoo River. Carl was just talking about Minnesota. So despite the clear opposition of the Anishinaabe, whose treaty rights Line 3 violated as it went from Alberta across Minnesota, and over 1,000 people were arrested in this program that Carl was talking about. But once granted permits, in Minnesota, Enbridge simply did as it pleased, and they fracked out 28 rivers. So a frack out occurs when horizontal directional drilling, the use of drilling mud mixed with an undisclosed slurry of chemicals under pressure to drill a tunnel under waterways, when that drilling mud escapes into subsurface waters that can then reach like surface waters, that's a frack out. So 28 times they did that. They even didn't follow their own plans they had flawed dis, uh, construction, which led to what we now know is three, no, well, actually four. it's four aquifers releasing well over 280 million gallons of groundwater. So they they are sloppy. Like, And the only way we know that about those uh, frack outs and aquifer breaches is activists who are still working, volunteer activists still working with drones right now to identify locations where Enbridge drilled down and um, drove pilings right. through a confined aquifer so you have water coming up and changing the hydrology of the whole area. I mean, the whole length of that pipeline just about went through wetlands and they just, um, it, the damage is ongoing yeah. and it's been documented by these citizen scientists because the state agencies won't do anything unless it hits the media first. The DNR and Minnesota GNR just had to release a statement about the fourth aquifer breach that Mark mentioned the other day because the group that's documenting them, Wadukawad Amaquag, those who helped the beaver, went to the media with it. Yeah, they've documented 45 spots on the 350 miles of pipeline. They do like uh, thermal imaging flyovers. And it's only due to those efforts that this comes out. You're right. And that'd be the future for Wisconsin. I don't know if you got a spot you want to get to the reroute, uh, talking about the reroute around Bad River. You're there. But, you might as well. That's a okay. important part of the current picture. Sure. Sure. That's, that's an important part of the picture for Wisconsin. Because I mentioned uh, the court case of Bad River bringing suit against Enbridge for trespassing with their easements expired in 2013. And, and I'll, I'll just pa deviate briefly to say the way Enbridge operates in cases like this is through um, two, two avenues to get their way. Well, three, really. One is, I guess two. One is intimidation, okay, you know, buying law enforcement and like we saw around line three. The other is just naked bribery. So they offered the Bad River Band $14 million to renew those easements, and the band told them where to put it and uh, to get out of town. Um, but they continue to, you know, believe that anyone will sell for the right price. They bought a tiny piece of land from Mellon, the city of Mellon, to put their pipeline across. That had been designated, uh, was supposed to be for conservation purposes in perpetuity. They, they paid, you know, four and a half million dollars for it. Um, so because the band said no and didn't take the bribe, uh, Enbridge started planning uh, for a 41-mile reroute 
of Line 5 around the boundaries of the Bad River Reservation, but still entirely within the Bad River Watershed, which the band has jurisdiction over under the Clean Water Act as uh, what's called treatment of state status. So they have legal jurisdiction over what goes into the waters that, that go into the reservation. But again, Enbridge doesn't believe those laws apply to them, and they've submitted uh, an application to regulatory agencies to build this 41-mile reroute that would include blasting through granite bedrock at dozens of stream and river crossings and going straight through the um, not just the headwaters of the Bad River and its tributaries, but the recharge zone for the Pinocchi Aquifer, which is a confined aquifer that starts in the hills, the Pinocchi Hills above the Bad River, and then the water seeps in through the sandy soil, gets under the bedrock, and goes all the way to the shoreline of Lake Superior, where it comes out as crystal clean artesian wells that are enjoyed by um, local residents of, of the Bad River Band and, and other area residents. It's a very important feature of that area. So Enbridge is not only threatening uh, wetlands along the reroute, they're not only threatening streams and rivers upstream from the reservation, they're also threatening the aquifer that the area relies on. And that aquifer also feeds the wild rice beds I mentioned in the Bad Cacagan Sloughs, that wetland of international importance at the mouth of the Bad River. So it's it's an incredibly risky scenario to put a 41-mile reroute in the watershed. And I really fear that if that goes through, the future for that area looks very similar to what happened with Line 3, where there were all kinds of environmental violations that are still coming to light. So, Carl, can you tell us about, like, the legal situation? You know, ex explain mm -hmm. what's going on in terms of, because that's yeah. an important so, part of so, that picture. Yeah, so Bad River filed this lawsuit in 2018 uh, to get the Enbridge out of the out of the, off the reservation. And the band has been very clear. Enbridge, um, their talking points have been a, uh, one of their main talking points has been for the reroute has been, well, we're doing what the band asked us to do. They'd want us off their land, so that's what we're doing. Well, Bad River Band has been exceedingly crystal clear that a reroute through anywhere in the Bad River watershed is unacceptable to them. And uh, they don't just want them out of the reservation but out of the watershed and so that's what they've said in court and the judge in Madison um, issued rulings uh, that issued a ruling that Enbridge was trespassing and owed the band uh, five million five million dollars for trespass plus some percentage of their profits um, you know for ongoing operation and then in, in, in another ruling gave them three years, gave Enbridge a three-year timeline to remove its pipeline, to not shut the pipeline down. Yeah. You're listening to Carl Sack and Mark Rosenthal, two water protector environmental activists, longtime activists here in Madison and elsewhere. We're talking about Line 5 and Enbridge Corporation, and, and we'll be getting shortly to the resistance to it. But join us if you want to have a question, a comment, an observation. Uh, give us a call at 608-256-2001. Again, 608-256-2001 if you want to join in this conversation today. Mark, you, you were going to say? Well, what Carl just said is actually very significant. We have a three-year window to stop Enbridge. Because th what the judge said is they have to turn the pipeline off if they don't have some sort of reroute, that they cannot continue the 12.1-mile pipeline across the Bad River Res. There's an exact date in three years that that oil will have to be turned off. So Enbridge is going to be very aggressive, as we must become very aggressive in our efforts to simply stop that reroute. 
because this will be a huge victory in like there are three reasons for shutting down this pipeline and I'll come like th this victory one will become uh, or because we respect uh, in indigenous sovereignty treaty rights the tribes have been incredibly clear in Alberta and Ottawa Michigan Minnesota and Wisconsin that they oppose this pipeline the extreme environmental threat that um, has been laid out by Carl to the Great Lakes, to 20% of the fresh water in the world, 84% of the fresh water in the United States. But the big thing, the really big thing, is the existential threat of climate change and the need mm -hmm. to prevent any new fossil fuel infrastructure and, in fact, to begin to dismantle the infrastructure that exists. So by shutting down this line, we have a strategic opportunity to move away from fossil fuel infrastructure here in Wisconsin. Certainly to send a message, a bigger message globally. Well, actually, it's more than, it's strategic. This is, as Carl said, right. the amount of oil. So we, we have to begin to move from protest to resistance. And that resistance says, we're going to shut down these lines. On the anniversary of that uh, spill that I referred to in Kalamazoo, two uh, valves were turned off by water protectors. And if that symbolic action, if it, they won't shut it down, we will. We have to move into resistance. So this three-year window, I will just say to our audience that this is actually a critical opportunity that we have in Wisconsin mm -hmm. to do something about climate change. And if, if anywhere, if there's anywhere Enbridge can be defeated, can have one of its pipelines shut down, it's here. I, I, I place more faith in the Bad River Band and their ability to fight this monster than I do in the state of Michigan, which is also fighting this monster. Right. I mean, can you imagine? And this just goes to my comment about Enbridge being an outlaw uh, corporation, you know, and, and the legitimacy of, of calling them that. Can you imagine the state of Michigan issuing a direct legal order to shut down line five across the Straits of Mackinac because of the imminent threat it opposed it proposed or it poses and the company just simply said no yeah there was actually, to the state of Michigan they yeah. said make us now if I get told stop doing that or you're gonna go be you know arrested you're going to be charged with a crime and i keep doing whatever it is i'm going to get arrested and thrown in jail but embridge says no we don't have to follow your laws we don't have to follow your legal orders they take it so the state of michigan is in court battling embridge right now why they can't just send state troopers to turn off the pipeline i don't know but you know again because they fear the power of embridge as a corporation probably well uh, it was actually in response to a specific incident <clears throat> april 1st 2018 when a tug anchor hit the line and the michigan governor so, so this is a line under under the, uh, under the great lake right at the street so this tug anchor hits the line the first two mechanisms that embridge has to uh, monitor the line, fail, which is one is sound and the other is this pig that they run through. It's like a, a mechanized thing that they're using to monitor the line. Both of those fail. And the, the, uh, the governor and the attorney general demand that it be turned off, and the Canadian government and Enbridge cite a 1977 treaty saying, nope, we don't have to. And, yeah, their arrogance, they... They, they are like a, uh, a criminal organization. And those two places at the, at the Straits of Mackinac and the Bad River Reservation are where the legal struggle is. And it's important, again, to realize that the indigenous peoples throughout Canada, that it's Line 9 that Carl was talking about that comes from Sarnia, they've been fighting this for years. And the indigenous peoples within the Great Lakes region have been in the forefront of this struggle. And that is one of the things that is positive and we need to recognize and celebrate and be good allies and give us hope uh, in their, their sort of commitment to this struggle. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I would see. I'd just say that's absolutely spot on. I see my role as a, a white environmental activist as an ally to who is supporting here to support the demands of the indigenous communities along the pipeline. You know, not to set the agenda, but to follow what their lead because it's their treaties with the indigenous bands that predate this 1977 international treaty that Mark mentioned between, you know, by over well over 100 years. Those are also nation to nation treaties and they contain within them the usufruct rights to hunt fish, gather wild rice in in the ceded territories of the Ojibwe in northern Michigan, northern Wisconsin, northern Minnesota, in order to exercise those rights, those resources have to be there. And Enbridge Pros is a direct threat to those. So there's a direct treaty violation, and that's we we need to stand with Bad River and the other indigenous tribes fighting this pipeline. It redefines a new era of solidarity. Yes, yeah, exactly, Alan. Exactly. 608-256-2001. Join us with a question, a comment, and observation for our guests today, Mark Rosenthal and Carl Sack. Again, 608-256-2001. I want to come back to this discussion of that big picture, that, bi- that huge concern of uh, climate change. Um <clears throat> What do you see? What do you guys see as the uh, the heart of this existential crisis of climate change uh, and its relation to? Well, it's not just a matter of the toxicity and the poisoning of, of the environment by the, by these giant corporations, but a whole system based upon accumulation, uh, consumption, uh, et cetera, that dooms us. Well, Alan, I would say that the most important thing to realize here is that climate change is not something that is inevitable or naturally occurring. It's a result of a system that prioritized private corporate profit over the well-beings of people, of the of all living things. Of the uh, climate chaos is, is from greed, from addiction to power, materialism. This madness in the face of what we know science tells us is absolutely required by a system that depends on expansion and exploitation. When it comes like to global warming, the real problem is not just fossil fuels, but the logic of endless growth that's fundamental to our economic system. Uh, It can't be dealt with using the tools of capitalism because it is a product of capitalism. And I love, I'm going to, a quote, if it's okay, can I just do a quote? Would you rather not? It's, anyways, <laughs> this is Gustavo <laughs> Petro. He's, he spoke to the UN. Explain who that is, please. He, he's the president of Colombia. And what he said is poetic and brilliant. He said, climate disaster will kill hundreds of millions of people. It is not a product of the planet. It is a product by, it is produced by capital. The cause of the climate disaster is capital, the logic of relating to one another to consume more and more, to produce more and more, so that a few can earn more and more is what produces the climate disaster. The expanded accumulation of capital is an expanded accumulation of death. And I would simply say we demand system change, not climate change. And people need to organize there are many d- groups here, Wisconsin 350, Sierra Club, People's Green New Deal, of DSA, Communities United by Water, whatever it is, we need to become organized um, and participate in this uh, changing of systems. What do you think, Carl? Well, yeah, <laughs> I absolutely agree. I mean, we have... A problem that is is endemic to capitalism, and and the I, just the one of the big symptoms of the problem that I see is uh, the this I notion that the uh, end of the world is easier to imagine than the end of capitalism. Capitalism is is uh, doxa in in our culture for some reason, and it shouldn't be. I mean, we're at a tiny fraction of the earth's history a tiny fraction of human history since what the the 1750s the industrial revolution that capitalism's been around and 
uh, hasn't been a global force for all that long. So I think, you know, it is replaceable. But that said, there's a tremendous, um, uh, there are tremendous forces arrayed um, that need to be taken on in order to, to make that system change. And that's why we need, um, you know, we, we need uh, more people getting involved in the types of organizing Mark was talking about. And uh, we need to point fingers at who is, uh, who is the enemy, who's directly responsible, corporations like Enbridge. You know, there's a relatively small number of very, very wealthy individuals and corporations running the show that um, you know we need to start organizing against and and do so I think in with the support of the working class. So something we need to you know be doing is reaching out more to 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 unions to working people, and that's a fight we've had to fight in uh, in the Twin Ports uh, up in Duluth is has been very hard to uh, sort of turn you know the attitudes of the union um, federations that are dominated by the building trades um, and you know, see themselves erroneously as aligned, I think, as aligned with capital on this issue. The tasks ahead for those in opposition are certainly monumental. The mass movement needed to bring about change cannot happen without some, some sense of future possibility. Right. Um, from what do you draw your optimism that a better world is possible? Well, I already sort of uh, spoke to it, and that's the the vision uh, given to us by uh, the indigenous resistance, and also like even within Wisconsin here, our history, like of the twenty six year struggle to stop the Exxon mine in Crandon was made possible by people coming together, by people collectively in northern Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin, students, indigenous peoples, uh, the farmers, I mean, everybody uniting around one simple common understanding, and that's the sacred importance of water. And w we defeated one of the most powerful corporations in the world, Exxon. Um, that gives me hope. Also, the flip side of that is looking at this other response to climate, which is eco-fascism, that as climate uh, threatens to displace one and a half billion people, and there's this response. You look at the uh, elections in Sweden and Italy and Greece and almost in Spain and actually much of the political organizing on the right here is this anti-immigrant, anti-refugee you know, uh, build walls, razor wire mentality. Um, these are fascist responses. And so my, my uh, part of my hope is realizing my allies and understanding my enemy. And I think that um, we have to respond really, the, we have to up our response. And... Um, when Let, yeah that's a, if, okay, that's good. a good point to stop right that that, that is a, opens up because we do we have but a oh gee too little time left and i want to talk about the responses that is what's coming up uh oh, part, part of the reason we're here today is because there's a lot going on this weekend up north uh and ongoing into september and so on so it's uh you know wanna, carl tell us about what's happening uh this weekend uh, this in several locations, and then uh, what's to follow? Sure. So uh, if anyone feels up for a road trip this weekend, looking to get a little bit of uh, you know nice camping up north in, on Saturday there will be a flotilla, a community water flotilla in Ashland uh, from 8 a.m. to noon on Saturday. And uh, there's... Uh, you know, they're asking for folks to come who, you know, you could be in a boat. You don't have to be in a boat. You can uh, hold signs on the side of the highway to run support. Um, and then after that, there's going to be a special movie showing 
and pizza as well so you can make a day out of it and folks don't know there's there's uh, a nice first come first serve campground uh, city campground called Prentice Park in Ashland you can go pitch a tent there what's it called I'm sorry Prentice Park Prentice yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna camp up there that's where I'm staying um, and then in, over in Superior Wisconsin on Sunday August 6th this coming Sunday uh, we're having a big community water festival with a march at 10, 10 o'clock um, and a flotilla on the Namaji River, which flows from Superior into Lake Superior uh, right at 11.30. And then from noon on uh, onward to 6 o'clock, there's going to be free food, uh, kids' activities, speakers, muse, live music, um, you know, all kinds of good stuff right on the banks of the Namaji River, which happens to run right behind the Enbridge's uh, line, or Enbridge's terminal, as I, which, as I said, uh, passes through two and a half million barrels a day of, of crude oil. So um, come join us in the uh, Belly of the Beast, uh, Saturday in Ashland, Sunday in Superior, and there is camping available in Superior if you go to the Facebook event Look, uh, look on Facebook for Community Water Festival, Defend the Sacred. Um, and if you go to that event, there's a link to uh, uh, a sign up RSVP for camping just so we get an idea of how many folks will be there. It's also uh, a precursor to what will be a much larger event um, over Labor Day at the Straits of Mackinac um, where there'll be uh, a bridge walk, actually, that uh, many, many thousands of people will be there, and water defenders from both Canada and the United States gathering uh, over four days. Um, I would encourage people to participate in either of these things or both. And one of the things, I mean, it's, it's evident, but it's really worth sort of commenting on, uh, the opportunity to just meet people who are engaged in this frontline struggle and understand sort of the common interests that we have and learn from them, uh, pe uh, meet people from communities united by water, uh, activists, again, from Wisconsin 350 Sierra Club. Uh, I'm part of the same sort of eco-socialist network that uh, Carl is and People's Green New Deal. But all these people coming together uh, this is the greatest sort of resource that we have. And this is our ability to just connect, to talk, to socialize, to strategize and understand that there needs to be many different approaches and strategies that we do need to reach out to the Army Corps of Engineers, the DNR, the state. But we also, as I said, need to begin to up the sort of resistance to uh, survive, to simply survive. Yeah, if we're going to defeat the reroute around Bad River in the next three years, we need as many people in this fight as we can get. And we need people, you know, we need to build the movement so that it's not politically uh, feasible for the state or the federal authorities to allow Enbridge to build a new fossil fuel pipeline. I mean, the IPCC has been very clear and the UN has been very clear if we are going to keep our climate in a livable state for humanity, the time to put a moratorium on any new fossil fuel infrastructure is now. We can't allow more oil pipelines right. to I'm be built or rebuilt. We need people in this movement. Antonio Guterres was clear, UN chief, delay equals death, and I think he just said several weeks ago that we are no longer in global warming, we are in global boiling. And if we pay attention to language, uh, you know, we need to actually just, as you say, come together. And Alan, I want to thank you well, we still for have what you're doing. <laughs> I just want to say, I, I told you about this guy I was talking to a couple weeks ago who I said, how'd you get involved? He said, well, Mark, I heard you talking with Paul DeMaine on Alan's show. And that was just so heartening to have a sense of that what we do matters every single day, you know. And so, again, I just... Well, I, I, I certainly hope that uh, uh, people have gained something from, from this hour. We still have a few more minutes left. And I wanted to come back to something that, that 
I dropped here a, a question of of who benefits and and who doesn't. Who are the winners and who are the losers in this contest? Uh, that is those least able often enough to defend themselves and to wage the fight um, <coughs> are the ones who pay the price. Right. It's a social justice issue. The social justice, exactly. In, in that, the global south, in sort of a symbolic thing that it's not just in the global south, but it is people of, of color and the poor who suffer the most, who will suffer the most, who are the least responsible for what is happening. Um, that it is absolutely a social justice uh, uh, situation, and you know the people who are uh, who are uh, you know benefiting. Well, there's 55 large or major fossil fuel corporations. You've got things like Chase Bank. Okay, so they're the biggest fossil fuel uh, sort of funder of uh, in the world financier financier thank you <laughs> financier so i mean basically and i, I would add to that and all of the big uh you know houses of capital all the big corporations are cross invested in each other on the stock market you right. can't you know it's hard to find uh stocks to invest in that aren't tied to fossil fuels in some way so like the whole you know the whole capitalist system um at the top the the, the I mean, <laughs> when is it not the case that the super wealthy benefit and they leave uh, the poor and marginalized to pick up the co environmental costs? You know, I find I find this discussion important, interesting, certainly, uh, because so many many people have some f critique of climate change, of global warming that comes back to it's humans writ large. Right. It's collect this collectivity of uh, it's the human species uh, that's at fault, when in actuality, uh, it's something different. It's what we what you've been talking about here. Uh, there are perpetrators. Right. There right? are perpetrators. And um, and so important. I think that's uh, that's the, um, the the line of demarcation of de delineation. Uh, between uh, what I would what I would refer to as the the liberal environmental movement uh, and and a um, social ecology or radicals and I would, ecological viewpoint. I see. You know, on on the micro scale, on the, the sort of day to day argument scale, you ha hear this uh, talking point coming from you know those in, in favor of continuing the status quo that oh do you drive a car you know do you use any gas you must be part of the problem well yeah i i drive a car uh because i live in a fairly rural area of northern minnesota where there aren't other transportation options because our infrastructure has been built to service the car industry and the oil industry because those are who, who are making the decisions about how our infrastructure has been built over the past hundred years so of course you know, we're part of the system, but, you know, the amount of gas I burn in my car is, you know, minuscule compared to, like, the overall, uh, the amount that's used by the super wealthy and, you know, part, yeah, the, it needs to be cut off at the source. It's not the fault of, you know, individual working person driving a car. What I found really interesting is I just was... Uh, 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 in a webinar that was put on by the International uh, Component of 350, and they had for those not not acquainted, what's 350? It's uh, actually the largest uh, climate organization in the United States. Um, it's uh, it's act it's international here. It's Wisconsin 350. There are people doing climate and environmental work. Uh, I can't think of the name of the guy. What's his okay. name? Um, so, but you were saying, Mark. Anyways, so... Um, Bill McKibben. Yes, yes, that's right. Bill McKibben was it. sort of the founder. So anyways, they had this international webinar, and they had these people fighting the, the uh, pipeline in Tanzania and Uganda. They had people fighting the Mountain Valley Pipeline in Virginia. Uh, they had people from Cop City... Uh, dealing with the criminalization of dissent. Uh, they had people from Maine talking about creating a new infrastructure for um, utilities. And they all had a very clear critique on capital. And 
both Carl and I happen to be socialists, but to me that is much less relevant than simply the fact that there is a global critique on the uh, culpability of capital and the fact that we must create something new and different. And I hear that from all kinds of people. So I think the vision is there. Um, so we're getting right down to the end of the end of the hour here. First off, about the, I want to thank you guys. But a, a final word from uh, both of you, either of you. Just a brief word. Uh, we we need to shut down line five. I mean, it's it's uh, and we can do it. And I believe if if anyone, you know, Enbridge is a big evil corporation. They're very good at being evil. Um, but if it can happen anywhere, it can happen here because I've been in a fight with Bad River over the Pinocchio mine, um, which was successful, uh, which we shut down. They've shut down other projects before. And um, this is the place to get involved because this is where we say stop. No. Basta, basta. Mark, Mark Rosenthal. Well, a challenge from something I learned from my indigenous brothers and sisters working in the Black Hills Alliance, which is when you wake up this morning, when you, whatever you're doing, whatever meeting you're in, simply ask yourself, how is what I'm doing today going to affect seven generations hence? And that's a responsibility we have to those who came before us, those who made what we have possible, those who are with us now, and our future. Well, I want to thank the both of you for coming in. It's been a, uh, well, I've found the hour informative. Uh, so I want to thank you, Carl Sack and Mark Rosenthal. You've been listening to Mark and Carl, environmental activists, water defenders, activists in the struggle against Line 5 and the bigger picture. I want to thank my engineer, my producer. I want to thank you, our listeners, Jack and Jade, I lost the names, but I got them back. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> Thank you, Alan, Thank you, for Alan. what you do. <laughs> it's so important. Well, you know, my name is Alan Ruff, and I'll be speaking with you next week.